Welcome to Shekinah International Podcast. Our ministry reflects the five-fold ministry model Apostle Paul mentions in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Our podcast features leaders from multiple churches who are passionate about equipping Christians just like you to walk in purity and power, fulfilling your God-given purpose. God wants to do great exploits through you, so enjoy today's podcast. Tell somebody that you did not come in with what your name is and let them introduce themselves. Just go introduce yourself to somebody you don't know real quick. Take 10 seconds. Say hi. I'm your brother, sister in Christ. Like the powerful 
ministry, the platform ministry, the world-changing ministry is only for the people on the platform. The ones that gives us an 8, 10, 15, 20 hours a week in the Word of God. And I just don't think it's true. I love the book Practicing His Presence by Andrew Murray. Have you ever read that one? It's an amazing book about a monk, actually, who did his disciplines and learned all day long in everything he did when he was washing the dishes, when he was tying his shoes, when he was cleansing himself, when he was dressing himself, when he was singing the songs, when he was doing the worship, when he was gardening and picking the potatoes out of the ground to be mindful of God. Who is he? What are you saying to me now? He did those things with the Lord. We don't necessarily have to be on our bed or in our prayer closet with the Bible open 24-7 nowadays. I mean, we've got podcasts. We've got Pandora, Spotify, where are the other ones? Amazon Prime, right? Everywhere we go, the word can go with us. And we hide that word in our hearts. And it says literally that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about this in a minute. You can call on him anytime for any reason and get everything you need. So as I'm reading this book, and I'm getting excited about it, we're going to do a study. I haven't decided if we're going to do it in the spring or in the summer or the fall yet. I want to get through it. It's very, very solid. Very solid. But we hear a lot of talk about the anointing. Anybody can relate? Amen. Oh, that person's so anointed. That minister's so anointed. Man, I need the anointing. I want someone to anoint my head. I want somebody to lay hands on me. I'm not feeling the anointing. We're out of here. Right? Really? Oh, oh. You sure your flesh just isn't having a day? It's all about the anointing. And you've heard it said that the, it's the anointing that breaks the yoke, and that's true. See that? That's the truth. The anointing that breaks the yoke. You can have two people do the exact same thing. One does it out of obedience to an instruction from Holy Spirit, and the other one does it mimicking something they saw. And there's breakthrough on one end, and on the other end, it's a shock. We are coming into a time where the revelation of relationship is the family of God and the revelation of relationship with you, Holy Spirit in you, and Father God, Jesus in heaven. They're calling us to be one in such a way that at the faintest whisper of Father God's voice, we say, we lean in. I love the song you picked today about the storm. So often we resist struggles. They're hard. Nobody wants to go through it. Jesus didn't hang up on the cross and say, oh, this feels so good. Please put another nail through my arm. <laughs> it's not about how we feel, but in those moments when we're in the middle of the struggle, when the press is on, sometimes I'm the most sniper-focused. It's like an extra measure of grace or an extra measure of the anointing comes through us or is able to come through us because our flesh is pressed. It's stilled. It's quieted. And yet, in our worldliness, in the practical sense, we try to wriggle out of it, right? Oh, man, i got to get out of this. This has got to be the devil. You know, and sometimes it really is, right? Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's our flesh, right? It's something, a work that God's trying to do in us. So the anointing has a cost. I'm, I'm going to talk about that today. We're going to start, go ahead and go to the next slide, darling. We're going to start in Exodus 30, 22-25. This term anointing comes from the Old Testament. Um, there was an oil that God commanded Moses to make that was called the anointing oil. In fact, it was called the sacred anointing oil. 
sacred. We don't use that term much anymore. There isn't much that's sacred. You know, we kind of all dress casual, we're very familiar. That's just our current American culture. There's not much that's sacred. Maybe the birth of a baby is still sacred for some. Yeah, it's sacred. There's a moment, there's a whisper, there's a hush, there's a this must be God that resonates on the inside. The Lord said to Moses, take the following fine spices. Somebody say, fine spices. Fine spices. I'll tell you, you say, you're fine spice. Hey, you're pretty spicy. You're pretty spicy, neighbor. All right, don't be nervous. You're pretty spicy. You are. You better be spicy. That's what we're calling me, amen? Oh, my God. Take the following fine spices. Drink it. That's all right. Drink it in. Amen, baby. Drink it in. 500 shekels. Lord's like it, You are fine, baby girl. Amen. 500 shekels of liquid myrrh. One half as much of that is 250 shekels of fragrant cinnamon. 250 shekels of fragrant calamus. 500 shekels of acacia. All according to the sanctuary shekel. A hen of olive oil. Make these into a sacred anointing oil. I don't know about y'all, but I was raised in the Catholic Church, and there's something beautiful about Catholicism in the sense that when you walk into their buildings, they're gorgeous. They're huge. They've got the steeples. There's the paintings everywhere. There's the pristine stained glass. And you walk in, and it's up there. There is a holy hush that you feel. There's a sacredness that you feel when you walk in, like, Someone took the time and the energy and the investment to do this with excellence. This is a sacred space. You feel that sometimes? Make these, the Lord said, into a sacred anointing oil, a fragrant blend, the work of a perfumer. It will be the sacred anointing oil. There's a couple interesting points I felt like the Lord wanted to bring up here. Number one, according to the sanctuary shekel. So sometimes, you know, we're going through and we want the anointing, but we kind of want to use our own scales of justice on what that looks like, how long we need to stay in the myrrh, how long we need to fragrant ourselves with the cinnamon. Maybe we only want a touch of the bitterness. We're going to make that real quick. Uh, Right? Come on. And do I really want to sit in an olive oil bath for six months like Esther? But it's according to the sanctuary shekel. There's no shortcuts. Salvation is free, but the anointing costs. I didn't understand how much it costs until I said yes. It's a fragrant blend. A fragrant blend. It smells sweet. It smells powerful. It smells Beautiful. It smells strong. It's fragrant. When you walk into a room and you're carrying the anointing, you carry a scent with you. Sometimes it's sweet. Sometimes it's strong and mighty. Sometimes it's a holy, sacred hush, a stillness. But it's fragrant. People, can smell Jesus on you. Tell your neighbor, you smelly. Say, <laughs> baby, you smelly. But you smell good. 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 You smell
smell good. That's right. You do smell good. Listen, tell yourself, I smell good. I'm a fine, spicy little thing, and I smell good. That's right. Go ahead and go ahead. This is pretty cool. Each of the spices represents a specific part of the process that we have to go through as Christians to move from that place of just being saved, right? We call that fire insurance. I got Jesus, I'm in, my spirit's made new, that's all I'm worried about. I'm just going to live the rest of my life the way I want to, right? La, 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 we talked about that last week. What are you telling me to do? La, 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 I can't hear you, right? We joke about that. Each spice represents a specific part of the process of moving from that place of conversion into the place of supernatural power and obedience and humble submission to God and to others. This is interesting, the amounts. Look at this. Myrrh, 12 and a half pounds. So 12 times to each one time something else is in this anointing, it's myrrh. Okay, I'm going to tell you what these mean in a minute. But 12 and a half pounds, seriously, can you picture the piece with me right now, going to the store, hi, I need 12 and a half pounds of myrrh, please. That's like a baby. That's like, what, seven pounds of flour, seven bags of flour, 12 bags of flour? How, how heavy is a bag of flour? I know. I'm thinking, Lord Jesus, that the whole tribe had to go to pick it up. Just the myrrh. And we complain about shopping. They had to walk, people. Right? Cinnamon, six and a quarter pound cinnamon. That's six to one ratio. And this is going to be important in a minute. Calamus, six and a quarter pounds, six to one ratio. Acacia, I'll tell you in a minute, yeah? Twelve and a half pounds, twelve to one ratio, and then olive oil. You're probably thinking, what is a hymn? It's not a hymn. It's not a, it's not a southern style hymn. It's a hymn. A hymn means a whole gallon of olive oil. So all... Okay, so you got 36 pounds of spice in one gallon of olive oil. Yeah, come on, somebody. Do you see that in your mind's eye? Anybody cook? You've got 36 pounds of spice in one gallon of olive oil. So here's, here's your pot, standard pasta-sized pot. Thank you. How do you do that? That stuff looks like mud, right? That looks like mud. You get that much spice in that olive oil. It looks like mud. And sometimes we're in the process of moving from conversion to the anointing, and our life looks really muddy and messy. And we're thinking, Lord Jesus, I done had to have missed it. There is no way I'm still on your path because this is a hot mess and this is not. That promise and prophecy that you spoke over me, this is not that. Where am I? Where am I? Right? Just like Moses, we stand in our Red Sea. And we turn around to the people, you know, and we try to be holy. Be still and watch the deliverance of the Lord. And the Lord says, Seven, why are you crying out to me? That's what it said after that. He cries out to them. People <laughs> tells them to be still and watch God deliver them. God is going to do something. The Lord literally says to him, Moses, why are you crying out to me? Why are you crying out to me? And then he says this, get this. What is in your hand, son? What is in your hand? And we do that, right, sometimes? Because we're thinking, I, I, at least me, when I, I don't know about y'all, you all are holy. I just, when I first got saved, I thought, ooh, Jesus said, it is so. That's what happened yesterday. I'm thinking, sha da 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 All I got to do is pray in the Spirit. 
right? All I have to do is decree and see a thing. I didn't understand that there's a test, there's a pressing, there's a time, there's a mud mix that has to happen in the midst of that. And I was saying, God, deliver me, God, deliver me, God, deliver me, Stephanie. Why are you calling out my name? What is in your hand? And after that, he says, move forward. Move forward. We cannot control the precious brothers and sisters around us, but we can choose how we respond to their recklessness or their mess or their hurt or their pain. We can love them. We can encourage them. We can bless them. But when all hell is chasing after you and after them, you need to keep moving forward. Amen. 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 Psalm 45.1 says, A masculine, a wedding song. My heart is stirred by a noble theme as I recite my verses for my king. My tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. You are the most excellent of men. Your lips have been anointed with grace since God has blessed you forever. And I felt like that's something Danny wanted to say to you today. Your lips have been anointed with grace. Grace is a person. Grace is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is grace. He is the might and the power and the courage and the love and the righteousness. He's everything you need. He is your grace. And he's on your lips. Come on. For talkers, that's really important. Okay? Because our mouth is our greatest gift, but it's also our greatest weapon. Anybody say amen? Amen. If I whip you with my mouth, please forgive me. I love you. We all do that, right? We're learning. We're in training. Right? We're going from faith to faith and glory to glory. But his grace is on your lips. Just say it over yourself. God's grace is on my lips. So when the office worker comes to you, sneering, because you don't know why. There's got to be something. Something's going on in that heart. They're hurting. Hurting people hurt people. And they say, da, 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 da. you know, you get in your prayer language and ask God for that grace. I can remember a story of a gentleman I worked with at the state of Michigan. And I did not know this, but he was suicidal at the time. Precious man. We always got to work at the same time, and I'd be walking from the parking lot, he'd be walking from the other one, and I would see him, and he was also downcast and kind of grr and grumpy. And I said, so-and-so, it's so good to see you this morning. And I would just smile. And he kind of looked at me like, you're crazy the first time. <laughs> like, who's this crazy white lady? Please, shut up. Smiling all happy, walking in the snow, four blocks to get to a building. <laughs> Second time, so-and-so, oh, good morning, it is so good to see you. He's like, oh, man, she might be for real. She's not just playing, this is an act, this is really who this lady is. I'm like, real, wait, you know how goofy I am. Wait, wait for me, I'm going to walk with you. He's like, trying to scoop, right? You know, it's hard to be around happy people when you're not happy, right? God love him. I ended up getting a sign with him when I worked at MDOT. I found out his wife had just left him. He was contemplating suicide. 
She took him for alimony, and he lost half of all of his investments. What do they call those things? The 401? Yeah, the retirement. I mean, and he was watching that computer every day, every day, every day. And he said, Stephanie, you don't know how many times your smile saved me from myself. I didn't even do anything, but God's grace was on my lips. It's okay if you're not a talker. It can be a gesture of kindness. It can be just simply forgiving somebody when they went all straight up ratchet on you. Oh, yeah. You don't know what I'm talking about. You're like, I'm going to choke you out. You see that commercial? I was like, no, I'm kind of that lady. I would have been having some moments. Yeah, I love the Young's, the literal Young's translation. To the overseer of the lilies by the sons of Korah, an instruction, a song of loves, my heart hath indicted a good thing. Come on. I am telling my works to a king. My tongue is the pen of a speedy writer. Every time we pray, Every time we're sent out, everywhere the sole of our foot treads, literally, our tongue can be available to our King. I love what Jesus said. He said, I say what the Father tells me to say, and I do what the Father shows me to do. It's literally that simple. We don't have to have a 40-step plan. You just have to be aware all day long, listening and attentive. Because he loves you, and he wants to do great exploits for you. Go ahead and go to that next one. Exodus 30, 23-25 goes on. I'm sorry, this is Peter. That's not the right verse. This is Peter. Um, I didn't change it there. Sorry, guys. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light or into his wonderful light. That sacred anointing oil was reserved for the priesthood. In fact, if you read the rest of Exodus there, it goes on to say, do not put that oil, do not make it, this recipe, and put it on anyone else. That's actually what the scripture says. Do not make this recipe and put it on anyone else. And then yet, this is what Peter says. But you, turn to your name and say, talking about you, are a royal priesthood. You are a priest. So that means this sacred oil, okay, which then was literal and now is figurative. It's the anointing of the Holy Spirit that we get every time we're willing to be pressed so he can come through us more. It's for you. It's for me. It's for the people of this world. So lives can be changed and touched and reconciled and redeemed. Amen? All right, I'm going to talk a little bit about the anointing. Okay, so I'm just going to do my soapbox thing. Just bear with me. Everybody wants it. Everybody wants it. Everybody, everybody wanted it at one time in your life. Anybody honest enough to say you're, you're having second thoughts? <laughs> like I only want so much. Okay, I'm going to be honest. I had the conversation this week. I was like, Lord, I don't know if I want it as bad as I thought I did. But I want to want it more. But I need more of you to actually want it more than I want to escape what I'm going through right now. Ephesians 1.13 tells us you already have it. Yay. Yes, you do. Yeah. Tell your neighbor. Say, you got it, baby. Yeah. Say, you spicy. Yeah. You fragrant. Yeah. You smelling nice. Yeah. You got everything you need. Yeah. Yes, you are. You all right. Tomorrow, amen. 
And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of faith, the gospel of your salvation, that when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. You are marked for destiny. You are marked to change the world. You are marked for something significant. God says, I have plans and a purpose for you, plans to give you hope and a future. He says, you'll seek me when you seek me with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, then you will find me. In other words, go all in, man. And when you can't go all in, just ask them, say, I want to go all in. <laughs> Help me with my want to, Lord. Amen? Because sometimes it's not so much that God isn't willing to give it to us, it's that the want to wanes. And we'll talk about that in a minute. All right, so the anointing, everyone wants it. You already have it. And I want to talk about this because I think this is a misnomer in the church, and quite frankly, I didn't even understand it until a couple years ago. It is often taught that you can lose your salvation. The Lord says no one can snatch you from his hand. No one. He is the creator of heaven and earth. He is Elohim, the all-powerful, almighty, omnipotent, all-knowing, everywhere present God. No one can take you from his hand. Once you're in, you're in. It's so death was far, amen? Second Corinthians says, So from now on, we regard no one from the worldly point of view. God doesn't see you as your past. And it's time to catch up with him. Catch up, that's right. He doesn't see you as your past. That's not who you are. You are a daughter of the king. You are a son of the king of kings and lord of lords. You are royalty. You are altogether lovely. You were bought with a price. And quite frankly, you're going to judge the angels. Does that blow your mind, or is it just me? The scripture tells us we will literally judge the angels. That is very sobering. That tells me that some of them are going to be trolled, because I called a couple times, and I'm not sure you showed up on time. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I'm going to be judging it right. Because I'll have taken off the perishable and put on the imperishable. Amen? Y'all can laugh. I know you're with me. It's all right, you Christian people. Though once we regarded Christ in that way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. You are not missing anything. You are not waiting on anything. You have everything you need for life and godliness right here. It goes on to say, and the old is gone and the new is here. We're not waiting for it. It is here. Amen. Amen? So this idea that you can lose your salvation really rubs me wrong. Once your spirit man is new, it's new. It doesn't become unnew. You, you know, he uses the terminology metamorphosis in the New Testament. He talks about the caterpillar changing to the butterfly, right? When you, as you're renewing your mind, that metamorphosis process happens. Once you accept Christ, you begin the metamorphosis process. You change. You never see a caterpillar in the real world go back to a larvae. 
You never see a butterfly go back into a cocoon. We never see things regress backwards. Things that metamorphose, it just doesn't happen. You never see the little, what them things called? Maggots. You never see, you know, you never see flies go back to maggots. No. But it changes, and it changes forever. And God changed you when you accepted Christ, and you are forever different. You can never go back, and it's a beautiful thing. And you're getting stronger, and you are looking more like him every day. In Acts 8, 15 to 23, it says, When they arrived, and this is the verse I want to share with you, they prayed for the new believers there, that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. This is the verse they use all the time, to say that you can lose your salvation. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're learning about this season here in Acts where the disciples or the apostles had made disciples and multiplied disciples and some of the disciples weren't discipled well. And they're going out and they're baptizing people just in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name I baptize you. What does the scripture say? Go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of? Father, Son, and what? Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. That's right. If you've been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, guess what? You've been baptized in Holy Ghost. Okay? Your salvation ain't going nowhere. You're sealed. Lock and key. It's done. That is one of the greatest heresies in this hour. The spirit of religion would love to perpetrate that lie. Because if, if we can lose our salvation, if you can lose the gift of our salvation, if it's truly a gift, then that means you have to work to get it or fail to lose it. What is that? Is that, is that New Testament, New Covenant? No. That's law. That's Old Covenant law. That's law. That is not of the Lord. That time has passed. We are in the age of grace. We are in the seasons of the incoming of the Gentiles. We are in the era of Yeshua HaMashiach, the great Messiah of Israel, the promised one, the anointed one. That actually means the anointed, anointed Messiah, the anointed Savior, the anointed, anointed Savior. Just, I just was, I feel like some of y'all need to say that out loud. Say, I, I am saved, saved forever. forever. You are saved forever. You are not going anywhere. You're not, you might have a moment in your mind, in your will, in your emotions, but your spirit man never shifts. Does that give some of you peace? Yeah. Facebook about putting me in meltdown mode last week. All right, so the anointing, everyone wants it. You already have it. You cannot lose your salvation. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes as soon as you get baptized because you're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? The Great Commission, we talked about that, says to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not everyone pops up out of that water speaking in tongues. That's just some of us. That's okay, but you popped out. You got something. You might not know what it is, but you got something. That mud is all stirred up in there. There's spicy spices. God 
grab and spice you up. Right? Sometimes you come up out and you're like, I feel different. I remember having a conversation with Brent. He goes, I feel so good. I feel so different. Wow. He'd been saved quite some time. Converted, right? But just hadn't been baptized. And he said, I just feel so different. Well, yeah, baby. You got Holy Spirit. <laughs> you got the power of all power. <laughs> the source of Jesus' power living on the inside of you. You are different. It's like you just locked and loaded a tanker, slid them little RPIs, whatever they're called up in there, and you're ready to roll. Things that would have bothered you before don't bother you like they did, right? You just, oh, you're not going to go with that one? Hold on. I'm just going to jump right over you. You can, you can stand there and get squished, or you can step aside. Your choice. Because that's how we're rolling. Amen? Serious. I love this. There's uh, five spices. Isn't that interesting? We talk out here a lot about the fivefold ministry apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher, according to Ephesians 4. There's those five gifts. They're not gifts of hierarchy. Okay? Turn to your neighbor and say, It's not about hierarchy, it's about humility. Okay? It's really about humility, it's about function. People get nervous because I think those terms have been abused in the past, right? I'm an apostle, so-and-so, and I want your offer. <laughs> and when I walk into the room, you better give me a drink and get my Bible and wipe the sweat off my brow, and we are the holiest, holiest, holiest thou church. Right? Come on. It has been some abuse, okay? Where, where man has been drawing men to themselves. Well-intentioned. Well-intentioned, but definitely misguided. Okay, because it's not about that. An apostle's job is to pioneer. An apostle's job is to lay on their life for the believers. To be willing to die. They're martyrs, that's what they are. I cannot not do this. If it costs me my life, I can still not not. I must. Because he did too much for me. Amen. So you've got these five spices, and I just thought the anointing, for the anointing, the sacred oil, that anointing in your life, God's giving you five spices. This is the process. Myrrh is purity. It represents purity. Myrrh is actually comes from a resin. It's for purification. They call it the oil of joy or the wedding night oil. Isn't that beautiful? It's the oil that Esther bathed in to remove, you know, most of the hair from her body prior to seeing the king. It was for preparation. That six months that it talks about, that was myrrh, mixture of myrrh. From the Jewish perspective, they say that myrrh has to do with bitterness. It has as much to do with grief as it does to do with strength. They say when you have to endure bitterness, it makes you stronger. You notice people that come from hard countries or poor countries, they have such a joy on them. They don't need the television and the iPad and the Alexa and the dog and the cat and the four cars and the two kids and the half a million dollars. They've got joy. They've been through some stuff. They've endured the season of bitterness. And sometimes to gain the anointing, I really believe there's an order to that. Sometimes you come to that place of conversion, that myrrh, that bitterness place, the enemy comes, he tries to get you angry. 
He tries to tell you not to forgive. He tries to have people wound you out of their woundedness and have you get upset about it and come into a place of offense. And we have to endure that. And I'll be honest with you, I've been in the ministry now, before, I don't even know, 20-something, 95, Laura? In the 90s, I guess. So it's been a minute. But I, every time I come into a new place or a new promotion, a new level of authority, a new level of influence, if you want to say it that way, I find I have to go through this test of bitterness again. Being misunderstood, feeling alone. And you just got to sit in it. There's a story of a pastor whose son was pretty unruly. Unruly, I guess is a better term. Unruly. He would throw tantrums. He was very strong-willed. He would not listen to the father. He would not listen to his father or his mother. Threw fits, yelled, did what he wanted to do, grab him, grab him, grab him. Listen, this went on for three or four months. And finally, Holy Spirit says to the father, I want you to grab him. I want you to hug him. And I want you to hold him. And he said, and my son was flailing and kicking and flailing and kicking and trying to get out. He hit me a couple times, and I was like, I don't know if this is worth it. And he's holding him. He said it went on for almost an hour. And the kid is freaking out. Everything, all his mind, screaming at the top of his lungs, crying. He didn't understand. Oh, I want what I want what I want. And the father said, this is not acceptable, and it will not happen anymore. Took the child 60 minutes to calm down, and he literally did that until he just wore himself out. And sometimes, and I can attest to this, every season, we fight, 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 fight. And Dad just grabs us and he holds us and he wrangles us and we're, yeah, I want out of this. I don't know if this is what I want to do. This isn't right. Lord, where are you? Why aren't you answering my prayers? What are you doing? And he's saying, baby girl, baby boy. This is not going to happen anymore. I need you to be still and know that I am God. I have got you in this for a reason. This is the very pathway to the destiny that you've asked me for. This is the preparation for your purpose. The cinnamon represents sweetness. And um, I think there's a picture. Is there a picture? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Isn't that cool? The cinnamon looks like scrolls. Doesn't that kind of look like the Old Testament scrolls? Right? Isn't that neat? Sweetness is the absence of bitterness. Isn't it interesting that that follows myrrh? Which is purification. Persevering through the process of bitterness. And then the sweetness comes. We We shift from that place of struggle, the struggle being real, like Jamar likes to say, we love Brother Jamar, from the place of the struggle being real to that place of, I just learned who he is, how he loves me, and why I'm going to serve him the rest of my days. Because he is God. Psalm 119, 103 says, How sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, Lord. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. And it's those divine moments when you've come out of the heat of the battle and you're desperate to hear a word from the Lord, desperate to know, is this over? Is this next? Am I hearing? Am I not hearing? Is he with me? 
Is he still speaking? Am I being put to pasture? What's going on? And then you get a sweet, sweet word. Come on. Yeah, yeah, Jamal, come on. You get that sweet, sweet word, and he is good. It is good. And those are the ones that you remember forever. They're burned into your mind. I can still remember one season I came out of the Lord said to me, Hephzibah, Beulah, you're married to the Lord, and your land is owned and protected by him. I said, yes, sir, yes, sir. And I endured more than six months, but a season of difficulty, and I came out of that, and I'm like, I feel really alone. I feel really isolated, Lord. I mean, where are we going here? You know, you want to pioneer, sometimes you got to go by yourself. Not everybody's into that, <laughs> right? you got to go to some interesting places. But that sweet message, just, just love it. Listen to this, Proverbs 24, 13 through 14. My son, he says, eat honey. Okay, honey's another representation for the sweet word. For it is good, yes, honey from the comb is sweet to your taste. Know that wisdom is thus for you. Should you find it, then there will be a future and your hope will not be cut off. The temptation sometimes when we come out of those seasons of bitterness is to lose hope. Hope deferred makes a heart what? Sick. We always have hope. That song you read earlier there, that was so good. One of my favorites is Never Will I Leave You. And I always put my name in there, Stephanie. Never will I forsake you, Jacob. For lo, I am with you always, even until the ends of the earth. The Passion Translation, Revelation 10, 10, I just love this picture. It says, I took the little scroll and I thought, hmm. Now, John, for those of you who don't know, was on the island of Patmos at the time. They tried to basically boil him in oil just prior to this. Okay, so imagine with me standing in front of a pot, an insane king, and a crowd that wants you to die because you've confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And there's a boiling pot of oil. They've got you strapped up, and they're about to sink you down into it. Imagine the fear, the trepidation, the prayers, the wriggling that you will be doing in that moment. He goes from there to the island of Patmos. So he goes from that place of myrrh, bitterness, struggle, had to overcome that to the place of sweetness. And the Lord gives him this tiny little scroll, just like we see the picture here. It says, the hand of the mighty, got it from the hand of the mighty angel, and he ate it. Instead, it was sweet as honey to the last. But after I had eaten it, my stomach started to turn bitter, it says. Then they said to me, you must go back and prophesy again to the peoples, the nations, the languages, and the kings. So we come to a saving knowledge of Christ. We go through that season of struggle and bitterness and Daddy teaching us to be still. We come into the place of sweetness where his word is just sweet to the taste and we eat it and we eat it. We eat it. We can't get enough. We're hungry and we're thirsty and he feeds us word after word after word. And we're like, yes, I can stay here my whole life and never move. <laughs> but then we don't get the anointing. Right? That's the prayer closet time. Mm-mm-mm. Life is good when you're in the prayer closet. Nobody's messing with you. You know, but love isn't quite being tested yet. Right? 
Romans 5.3 says, Not only so, but we glory also in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Hope does not disappoint us or put us to shame because God's love, that sweetness, God's love, has been poured or shed abroad in your heart. If the devil tries to tell you, I just can't love that person, that's a lie. Because the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart. So just tell yourself, I can love anybody. On purpose, some people. But I can love anybody. Amen? And it's so good for us. We look most like him when we're loving intentionally. Amen. 2 Corinthians 2.16 To the one So you go through these processes and to some are new spiciness. You're only two spices in. But this new fragrance you have to some is the smell of death. You get around them and they're like, ooh. They feel conviction. They start backing up. (laughs) Or condemnation because they don't know the gospel, right? They're like, I don't know about you. You're different. This is not the you I knew. I'm going to back up. You're making me nervous. I'm not so sure I want the conversion experience yet. And I'm feeling it's really conviction. But oftentimes the enemy convinces them to take it as condemnation. Right? Into somewhere the smell of life. What is that? Oh, man, she smells good. He's so spicy. I need some of that courage. I need some of that joy. I need some of that life. I need some of that revelation. Wait, wait, wait. Why do you have the answer to everything? How do you know that? Where did you get this? How did you learn? I'm out here spinning my wheels. I'm out here spinning my wheels trying to make this happen. It's not working out. And we're the fragrance of life. We just walk in the room and they sniff us out. They come find us. I mean, the people that find me, Lord Jesus. But they're hungry. They're hungry. And I'll take a hungry person with a heart for the king any day over somebody who's well-known or influential. Because you can't teach purity of heart. You cannot teach passion. You can teach anyone skills. How to dress, how to look, how to talk, how to be appropriate. That's easy. But you can't teach heart. Sometimes we say, oh, they're, they're, you know, they're saved and we smell like death to them because they're backing off, but the reality is your fruit's just stinky right now. Right? You were in the murder and you still got some of that bitterness working out of you. And we blame it on, on that, you know, well, that's the devil, that's the smell of death. And it's like, wait, oh, I, I was a little critical. I was a little bit judgmental. I was pretty impatient. Okay, Father God, please forgive me. Thank you that in Christ I am forgiven. Amen. We've got to be careful not to get into that place of self-righteousness. So you've got these five spices, you've got the conversion, you've got the myrrh, which is the purity, the cinnamon, which is the sweetness of his word, and then you've got the calamus, which is fragrant worship. So we're squeezed, and we, we suffer a little bit, and we soak in that. We eat on his word, it becomes sweet to us. And then we come to this place of fragrant worship. When we've tasted how good he is, we cannot not return to him an amen. Once we've tasted and seen, we cannot not say thank you. Once we've tasted and seen, we cannot not praise him. That song Jackie was singing, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. That's someone who's been through that purification process. (laughs) In the presence of my enemies. 
I raise a hallelujah. Death has no power over me. Because they've been, they've been there. They're like, okay, if I die, I die. That's what Esther said. Do you remember that? She said, if I perish, I perish, but I shall go before the king and I shall plead the case of my people. Because she tasted the sweetness and the goodness of the Lord and she had to worship him with her life. And that meant even if she went down doing what he asked her to do, she was going to do it. She lost everything because she understood the goodness of God. She understood the sweetness of God and that is available to you. Revelation, oh, we've got the, so the calamus, fragrant worship. Sometimes the most pleasing worship is when you're going through the most difficult trials. And I heard this this morning when I was preparing. Your fragrance either attracts the divine or the demonic. Okay, you know, stinky rotten fruit attracts flies. Fresh flowers attract hummingbirds and butterflies. You see what I'm saying? Our, our fragrance either attracts the divine and brings favor into our life because, like we talked about earlier, people are, what's that smell? Oh, she smells good. I gotta get to know her. There's something about this smell. You ever had somebody say that to you? Yeah, there's something about you. I don't know what it is. I'm so-and-so. It's nice to meet you. They smell the goodness and the grace and the love of God on your life, and they want it. Give it to them. Freely we receive, freely we give. Amen? And sometimes we're a little sanky. We let a few things out of our mouth that we're not aligned with grace. Now here they come, the horns of hell, to try and fulfill those words. You just got cut it off in Jesus' name. Repent quickly. Cut it off in Jesus' name. Because he'd love to throw you under that bus. It says we have an accuser of the brethren that goes before the courts of heaven on a regular basis saying, Lord, did you see your law says this? They said this. You created them in their image. They spoke his name. And life and death is in the power of the tongue. That's what your word says. you got to give it to them. I have rights. I have rights to go, he says. Keisha is a root that needs to be rooted in wet areas. And this is interesting. I love that verse that talks about in Revelation. It says, down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Cache is that place where you begin to flow in the spirit. You don't even want to leave the riverside. Where it's flowing, you're going. Amen. And I'm not talking about glory, Hannah, and following pastors and preachers around. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about where Jesus is flowing, that's where you're going. Wherever you are, you're hearing and you're speaking, you're seeing and you're doing, and you're plugged into that river and your roots are going deep. They're drinking deep. You might be, it might be dry and arid up here, but you're, you're digging them roots down deep to find out where's the water, where's the life. Where's the flow? I need to bear fruit in this season. No matter what's happening above ground, I'm going deep so I can get the water that I need to survive this. Amen? Amen. So you got these five spices. This is my favorite one. The olive press. We went to Israel. It's really interesting because there are these rope, round roped baskets. And they put the olives in, and they stack more baskets on top, and more baskets and more baskets, right? So you got basically a rope basket, olives, a rope basket, olives, and then they pull the press down. And there's three presses. I don't know if you know that. There's three presses, typically. 
Okay, so they take the first press, a lot of oil comes out that first press. It's like, gosh. You know, your first trial, you're like, Jesus is king. He is on the throne, he is reigning, and he is with me, and devil, you are defeated. I was in the sacrifice of praise, right? In the house of the Lord. You're singing at your enemies, laughing at you, and you're like, I know that's a, he's got me. That second press comes, you're like, oh, 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 wait a minute. I thought I was done. I just had a victory. I thought this was over. Wait, wait. Hold on. Oh, this hurts a little bit more. Okay. Right? And that flesh is being marred, crushed, so that Holy Spirit can come out because he's already in you in all of his fullness. You don't need more of the Holy Spirit. You actually just need to move out of the way of the Holy Spirit. You're eternally connected to an inexhaustible supply of Him. That third press comes along. And you're like, dear Jesus, no, 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 and, and we count the cost. Every press, we count the cost. And we either say, yes, Lord, or no, Lord. This is the anointing. This isn't about salvation. This is about the anointing. And some of you have gone through that first press. Some of you are still back in the stage where you're bathing in the myrrh and being purified. Some of you are at that stage where your roots are right by the river and you're bearing fruit and it looks dry and hard around here, but you're digging deep because you want to know and you want to go and you want to be everything that created you to be. And some of you, some of you are at that third press where you're going, no, 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 Lord, no. Not that. Not that. Not that. And you come to a place just like Abraham with his Isaac. And you've got to put it on the altar. You gotta decide, am I gonna do what God said to do? Or am I gonna cave? Am I gonna believe that He can raise Him up? Or am I gonna panic and go back down the mountain and take my wood and my son? And I'll be real honest with you. I'm in my third press. And sometimes you just gotta raise that knife up quick and get ready to get it done. Hesitation is what kills us in that third press. Doubting who we are and who it is God's called us to be is what will get you in that third press. You write your prophecies down when you're bathing in the myrrh, when you're in the season of cinnamon sweetness, those sweet, sweet words and those things that he spoke of, you write them down. Because the first press is not so bad. The second press hurts like hell. But the third press, it takes everything. And you come to a place where it's, you're squeezed so hard there's not many tears left. And sometimes you're misunderstood because I'm like, well, you're not really crying much. And you're like, I am so out of that. I'm, I have no tears left. I am fully his. I am fully set aside. There's nothing left should the Lord decide to take this. And yet I will choose you, Baba. Because this day, this earth, these things, these people, they're fleeing. They're but 
vapors of the wind. They come and they pass like the flowers in the valley. But the glory of God, the anointing, I strongly believe, to the measure we are willing to allow the anointing and the process of the sacred anointing in our lives, it's an eternal process. There's many prophets that have had visions of Jesus, and they say they've had visions of Enoch and Elijah. And Elijah is pretty grumpy of him. And he's not very glorious. That's what they say. Listen, I haven't had that experience yet, but I'm telling you, God still speaks, and the scripture is very clear. You can go to heaven. I've been there. Okay? But Enoch, it says Enoch walked with God. Just like we talked about Andrew Murray, he walked with God until he was no more. God was so pleased with him that all of a sudden he's like, I gotta take this one home. He looks so much like me. He's just crossing on over. She's just crossing on over. I'd be alright with that. Y'all better throw a party if something happens to me. Yes, amen. You tell them Jesus loves them to get on the glory train. Amen. You want to raise me up from the dead? Daddy says it's okay. I'm good with that too. All right. <laughs> That's probably true. That's true. I won't. I can't promise I won't knock you out. Okay. You, you raise old Stephanie back up. We might have a minute, but please, you'll just have to forgive me. I got to come out swinging. Come on, sir. You better buy them weeds. You got me the bucket on that casket. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being in a funeral? Seeing somebody get raised up like that and the looks on people's faces. Oh, gosh. I'm telling you guys, the day is now for that. The day is coming. The resurrection of the life lives on the inside of us. The resurrection and the life, the same power that raised Christ from the grave lives on the inside of you and me. Amen. Not a lesser power, the same power. Do not miss. Matchless, glorious, mighty. Yes, supernatural, miraculous. Mm -mm -mm. I'm just waiting. I'm sick. It's a little bad. I actually go to funerals and I'm like, Lord, you want to do it? You want to do it? You want to do it? It's sick, I know. It's my turn. Can we do it now? Can we do it now? My friend, my friend Dennis Moore, when he died, it's probably good they had him cremated because I was on a mission. That man, I was like, Lord, you can turn the dust. You can turn the dust. You made us from dust. You can turn him back into a man. I will open up that cremation thing. Give me the okay. <laughs> and then the Lord gave me a dream about Dennis. I'm fighting with no course. I'm Irish. Okay, that's what we do. I didn't want him to go. I was having my moment. The Lord was holding me tight. I was like, eh, where's my mentor? Listen, no, you ain't going to raise him up. I had a dream. I don't remember what it was. A week or so after that. I'm sitting on the floor in the kitchen up against the wall here with my back against the wall. Dennis is right next to me. And I know I was in heaven. His wife was standing on the other side of the counter, which is why I knew I was in heaven, because there's a separation between us and her. And I look over at him, and he's like, how you doing, Steph? I said, what do you mean, how I'm doing? What is wrong with you? 
you cannot go. I'm like yelling at him, you cannot leave me. You cannot go. I need you. I haven't learned everything I need to learn from you. And he kind of chuckled. And he said, Steph, you've got to let me go. And the look in his eyes, it was like inside my flesh. I was like, well, I don't want to. But the look in his eyes, I was like, okay. Okay. It brought closure to my heart. I told you all I went to heaven one time. We were doing an exercise and worship. We were asking the Lord to take us in. We saw the gold gates, and there's this actually Ferris wheel-looking thing over here. And I, all I wanted was to see Jesus. And I run through these gold gates, and out of a glimpse of my eye, I actually saw Grandma Prevo. I saw Saad Salim, and I saw Dennis Moore. And it's like, they were like, hi, trying to get me to stop and talk. I was so, like, see ya. I went straight for Jesus, found him up under the tree, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Just hung out with him in the field. It was crazy awesome. There's something about being in his presence that changes who we're attracted to, what we're longing for. There's something about the anointing that changes our focus from things here on earth, the things we don't have, the things we should have, the things that are working or not working, to say, taste and see that the Lord is good. Always, always good. Mm-mm-mm. Come on. The Alpha shakes us from what's familiar. The Lord must press you in me until our image is marred and he can make a way for the image of Jesus in us. It's the crushing and the pressure that produces the oil, the anointing, the power. Trials, challenges, and welcome as they are, They are your spiritual trainers. Today's pain, tell your neighbor, today's pain is tomorrow's power. So you're spicy, you're fragrant, and honey, you're powerful. Say, I'm spicy, I'm fragrant, and I'm powerful. Yes, you are. The process of the precious oil isn't worked so that we might receive the Holy Spirit or more of the Holy Spirit, but so that he might flow more freely from within us. All the oil that's going to come out of that olive is already in it. And for us, we have an endless supply. It's a person that lives on the inside of us. One of the Trinity. He don't run out. He don't run out of power, he don't run out of patience, he don't run out of love, he don't run out of gentleness. It's all there. Everything you need for what you're called to do. And I just felt like, Daddy, let me tell you, this too shall pass. Can anybody say amen to that? Sometimes that's the only thing we have to hold on to. Not so much, you know, there's no sweet word. We've been in the bitter moments. We planted by the river. We went deep, right? We've been pressed, pressed, and we're pressing that last press. And sometimes all you can say in that final no, no, no moment is, this too shall pass. It shall. Amen. 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 All right, go to the next slide there. Revelation brings responsibility. We're really, really good here in America about teaching sermons and getting it in our minds. We're very intellectual and that is such a good thing because God is intellectual. He's very, very intelligent. He gave us these minds for a reason. We shouldn't be afraid to use them. We shouldn't be afraid to look at facts. We should not be afraid to look at science because it all aligns with his word. 
Everything literally is spiritual. Revelation brings responsibility. Activation is the process of making something active or operative. Okay, so that moves it from the mind to wherever it needs to go in your heart, in your actions, in your moods, in your will, in your emotions, and make it active. So you can actually walk it out. Make it operative. Revelation comes through all five senses. You can see things in your mind's eye, in your spiritual eye, right? You can hear things with your spiritual ears. You sense so you know, right? You can feel things with your spiritual hands, right? You ever walk into a room and it's cold or it's something's giving you the chills and you're like, what is that, Lord? He'll tell you what that is. But there's a warm presence somewhere. Okay? But interpretation is the key. This is where most people miss it. They see exactly right. I see a torch with a flame on it. And because they've seen the torch with a flame on it, they don't necessarily ask, Holy Spirit, what is that? What did Jesus say? I say what I hear the Father say, and I do what I see the Father do, right? Just because we've seen something or heard something or sensed something before, doesn't mean we know the interpretation here. If we want to stay in the eternal flow of his grace and glory and be those that help to lead, love, and serve the movement that's coming, we must always ask, what is this? And what do you want me to do with it? You want it unlocked on? You want me to share it? You want me to shout it from the rooftops? You want me to write a book? What do you want me to do with it? Right? When we do that, God is always glorified. I can remember a specific instance, if it's okay, Lyra. Um, Lyra was up here asking for prayer. We've actually changed the way that we do altar ministry, so it's not so much of an impartation, us prophesying to you and telling you what God is saying for you. It's more of a social experience. What do you need prayer for? They share a little bit. Okay, I want you to close your eyes. That's Holy Spirit. What does, he want, what does God want to say to you today? What does Father God Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit want to say to you today. And if I remember correctly, that time, Lyra, you saw fire, right? And I'm immediately thinking, purification, boldness, you know, something. I didn't know. I didn't know what it was. Purification, fire, spirit, big roar, something, okay? I, I'm a warrior. That's what I do. I war. So that's where my mind went. And the Holy Spirit said, stop. Stop. I was like, okay, hands up. This is your baby, not mine. I said, ask Holy Spirit what that means. And what, do you remember what you said to me? I think you said boldness, because it really surprised me. And I was like, boldness? I said, well, that's not what I had in mind. I said, but okay, that's what it is. And you were going through a trial at that time. If I remember correctly, you were a little nervous about when you needed some courage. Right? So we want to ask and not assume. And then I want to say this too. Spiritual gifts can be taught, like we're teaching right now. They can be caught, okay, in an atmosphere of worship and praise. And they can be activated by faith. And that's what we're going to do right now is we're going to activate them. You guys all got one of these? I want to talk a little bit about vows. This is our activation today. Sometimes we're persevering in the anointing and we get stuck in a certain spot or a cycle. It, scripture says perseverance produces character and character hope. But when you're persevering and you're not seeing the character, there's probably a vow in place, or some kind of an agreement, or bitter root judgment that you made, 
that is allowing the accuser, the brethren, access and keeping you in a cycle of sin or struggle, okay, where that struggle is real. So why is this a big deal? I'm going to tell you. Are you ready? Renouncing vows is very, very important. Very important. Do you guys have all three sheets? What is the vow? You got that? Okay, good. You just got two. I got the good ones. All right. I could hand it out, I guess, but that was a lot of papers. So what is a vow? A vow is a promise or determination that we set in our mind or our heart, usually at a young age, but not always. We say, I am determined to do this always or never again. It is usually to protect us from pain. We've been traumatized or hurt or wounded in some way, and we make these vows, these agreements, these covenants with ourselves, with our mind and with our heart. It's a promise we make to ourselves, and we often include these words, I always or I never. I will always do this. I will never, never let someone hurt me like that again. Right? That can be more. Examples of vows, I will never open my heart again. I will always take care of myself. I will never let anyone touch me like that again. I will never be blank like my mom and dad, fill in the blank, adultery, critical, judgmental. I will never forgive so-and-so. I will never forgive so-and-so. Right? And we don't realize as young people, we, we say these things or in the pressing moments, sometimes those things come out of our mouth. And now the accuser actually has access. So our activation today is to deal with some of those things. And it won't take long. I'm actually can't. So what is a bitter judgment? A bitter judgment is very similar to a vow, but it does not always use the statements, always or never. They're a judgment that we make about someone who has hurt us or someone we love. And we determine in our minds to never be like that person in that way and therefore form a bitter judgment. Why do we make them? We make them usually as a defensive reaction to a wounding we've endured or because of a choice to reject a parent for whatever reason. So what's the big deal? So what? So what I mean about, right? It'd be good vows. I'm going to eat chocolate every day of my life so that I detox, right? But is it really good? Everything in moderation, right? I don't know. It's not actually a sin to vow or to not to vow, but when you know and understand your identity in Christ Jesus, it's very important that you're aware of the impact that vows and bitter judgments and your words have on your life. Because they open doors and they close doors. They keep you in cycles and they keep certain kinds of people coming at you. They keep you on on a war field longer than you're actually called to be there. That keep you in a place of pain longer than daddy has intended for you to be in that place of pain. They're promises, determinations that we've made to set up sort of like templates or, or railroad tracks, if you will, to follow behaviorally until they're broken. A vow formulated decades ago may be forgotten by our conscious minds. So don't get angry with people when you're like, why do you always do this? Well, I got something going on, I'm sorry. Pray for me. I'm trying to figure it out. If it was in my conscious mind, I'd be dealing with it, but I don't know yet. So me and you and Jesus, we're all waiting on that. Tiny. A vow formulated can go decades, right? It can go, the person can go completely unaware that it's happening until an experience or a circumstance or a counseling session triggers it because they're addressing the pain that originally caused it. And sometimes they don't even know. And that's okay. Right? That's God's grace. Did you know the scripture about the kernel of wheat? It says a kernel of wheat 
falls to the ground, but it cannot bear fruit unless it dies. The, the kernel of wheat actually has a very hard exterior shell that protects the, the actual seed or the germa inside. And it's not until that outer hard shell that protects us, those tracks that we're riding on, that got us through that horrible season and those childhood traumas, until those are broken, it dies, that we can grow up and begin to bear the fullness of the fruit that God has called us to. Amen? All right. Unlike other childish passions of our bitter root judgments, do not alter the way do not alter as we become adults. They merely become woven into the very fabric of our lives. So it's a very hidden thing. So how do these vows and bitter judgments hurt us? Because Satan is the accuser of the brethren, just like we talked about, he stands before the throne of God to accuse us day and night, any time we make a vow or bitter judgment, and he says, I have a right. Here. She said. He said. Some of the trials, some of the pressing, some of the things that we come up against over and over and over again that never seem to go away, they're of our own making. And we merely need to partner with the Holy Spirit to find out what they are and how to overcome. And take our words back. Okay? Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. I like the NLT because it says the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. I like quiet people. I wish I was quieter. I'm not. I'm still learning. I'm a lot quieter than I used to be. But listen to that. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. We have to be so careful. We have two ears for a reason, one mouth for a reason. Do not judge or you too will be judged, it says in Matthew 7, 1 and 2. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured unto you, right? So this idea of that bitter root judgment that we put on someone else, it actually comes back on us. Judge not for when you judge another. The scripture says you condemn your own self. Matthew 5, 34, 36 says, but I say to you, I just heard the Holy Spirit said, don't panic, this is going to be really good and you're about to get free. Okay? Don't panic. It's going to be really good and you're about to get free. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the greatest king, nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make a hair black or white. But let your statements be yes, yes, no, no. Anything beyond these is evil. I thought, well, I've got a long way to go. Galatians 6, 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows and words of seed, that will he reap. So, for example, practical example, in physics, every, for every action, we know there is an equal, that's right, and opposite reaction. Okay? That is physics. If you're familiar with quantum physics and how that all works, what you're finding now is sound literally changes the atmosphere. There is a power to it. The reality that the world was created by spoken word, Christ, is actually being proven scientifically now. Quick testimony, Laura Shane and I went for my ordination up at the Mississippi, the headwaters, 
we went and prayed and did assault comment there and decreed some things over that because on either side of the Mississippi, if you watch the national news, there's division and trouble all the way down, especially on the west. It's on the east too, but especially on the west. We did that then. We found out two weeks later, a week later, some of our friends from Flint went up there and were doing the same thing. We watched as they finished their journey, and at the end of the journey, first time in the history of the nation, at the end of the mouth of this river, this giant squid comes out of the Mississippi. And I knew that I knew that I knew it was a sign. Something had been eating all that stuff up, taking the life out of it. And it was exposed, it was captured, and in my spirit, man, I knew it is finished. We accomplished what we were sent to do. Words change things. All things ultimately come to a resolution or balance. So how do I know if I'm struggling with an inner vow or bitter judgment? Here's some help, okay? This is how you know. The fruit of inner vows does not always show up immediately. Instead, these statements lie dormant, forgotten, or triggered by the right person or situation. And over time, they begin to manifest outward in these ways. Excessive anger. Hatred, guilt, and anxiety. And then the fifth one is persevering, staying in it, staying in it, staying in it, but still having the same issues. Persevering, but no character change. You're not getting the fruit that you're persevering on. Your perseverance is supposed to bring this character and character hope. So if you're persevering, and you're persevering, and you're persevering, and there's the character's not there yet, there's something there that's stopping that has a legal right to be there, okay? There is nothing wrong with you, and you are not broken. Okay? You are not broken. You hear me? Examples can be compulsive behaviors like eating, shopping, gambling, smoking, drug use, etc. Behavior can point to vows, as can responses to a given situation. So how do these vows play out? Here's a scenario. Vows and judgments set in place dramas which produce effects exactly the opposite of what they actually desire. For example, a woman said that her mother was very critical. She had vowed that she was going to never be like her mom and criticize everything, her children, her husband, etc. For years, she struggled with this and repented and asked for forgiveness and tried and prayed and begged and asked God to change her heart. None of it worked until Holy Spirit showed her that she made a vow to not be critical like her mother. She found herself struggling with perfection and never feeling like she measured up or anyone around her measured up and really struggled just loving people where they were at. She strived with all of her might not to be critical, to go above and beyond, to be kind, to be overly kind, sometimes so much that she didn't have proper boundaries with people because she simply just did not want to follow in that pattern because she'd been hurt. Someone was kind enough to point out that this pattern was a struggle for her to overcome that area in her life. And when she was going through this counseling session with this individual who wrote this blog, it says she spoke with a friend in ministry and she told her that it's very likely because you're, this sin goes to bay for a moment and then it comes back that you are struggling with a vow. Okay, So we're going to take a minute. I'm going to ask you to take your pen that she gave you and your sheet and Cammy, go ahead and put that music on. It's very important to renounce vows, even good ones. Never, like for example, never beat a man at a game, okay? That was one that I had. Never beat a man at a game. They get pretty mad, right? I was like, it's never a good idea. It doesn't work out well for business or networking or anything. Just lose, <laughs> right?
Step one, get assurance of your faith. Ask yourself these questions. Do you love God? Yes. Are you thankful for his son? Yes. Have you received him as your savior? Yes. Do you really want to change? But just can't seem to do it? Yes. Then you likely have a vow. But your faith is secure. There's nothing wrong with you. Ask God right now for revelation as you read these vows and these bitter root judgments below. Here's some examples of typical vows and bitter root judgments that we make as young people or sometimes even as adults. Please circle all that apply that Holy Spirit shows you that apply to you. I'll slowly read some of them as you listen. I want you to circle the numbers. When I grow up, no one is ever going to tell me what to do. I will always follow the crowd. I will never again embarrass myself in public. I will never be strict with my kids. I will never get divorced. I'm just an outcast. Emotions don't matter. Feelings should not be expressed. Just keep the peace. Keep the peace in any price. Just keep the peace. I am supposed to save this marriage. I have got to be king. I have got to be top dog. I've got to be the smartest, the fastest, the strongest, the wittiest. I am not enough. Men don't hug. I have to take care of everything, and I don't have time to take care of myself. If anyone says they love you, they are not to be trusted. It's my fault. I think I'm defective. What is wrong with me? I have to be tough. I have to be strong. Yeah, time heals all wounds. It's just not for me. Because what we're going to do in a moment 
if one of these is going on for you. We are actually going to break the power of the enemy and that opposite force. Like, for example, I will never get a divorce is one of the vows. I struggle with that because my parents divorced. When we break this vow, the enemy no longer has a right to come and say, you need to get rid of this woman or this man. When you break the vow, you finally get the desire of your heart. Okay. All right. So first we're just going to give control to Jesus, okay? So repeat this prayer. Still your heart. You're not mocking. You're not mimicking. This is between your heart and his heart. Jesus. I have sinned. I can't make up for the things I've done wrong. I need you to forgive me. Thank you for dying for me on the cross and paying the price for me so that I can be free from guilt and shame. Thank you for doing for me what I cannot do for myself. Thank you for wiping my slate clean again. I ask you to take control of every area of my life and fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. Help me be the person you created me to be. I love you, Jesus. Okay, so this is going to take some longer than others, and that's okay. What we're going to do is we're going to recite a similar type prayer, and then in the middle of that prayer, you're going to read off all the ones that you circled. Okay, just between you and the Lord out loud. But you got to say it out loud because life and death is in the power of the tongue. And you put that vow in place with your words, you need to break the power of that vow with your words. Okay, so don't worry, nobody's listening. The music's going. You want to be free? Say, I want to be free. Amen. I want to be free. Say, Lord, I take back from myself and from Satan those words, vows, bitter judgments that I made as an act of my will. Those words were not from you. And I refute them now in Jesus' name. I renounce the statements I made that I will. Now read your list between you and the Lord. Read them all up, every single one of them. Yeah, the ones you circled, just the ones you circled on your list. No, you're actually renouncing the vow, so you read the actual negative vow, yeah? Okay, because you're renouncing what she said that was negative. When you're done, just shout out done. Take your time. So her husband said, never hurt, never will hurt me again. Always be the strongest, the strongest, the prettiest, never love the father, mother, sister, brother. 
You can revisit this list any time you're at home to it, okay? Because sometimes you just have days.
If this doesn't excite you, watch for our new and God-inspired product line, a newly released book by Stephanie Butler, and more testimonies from our listeners like you, working to bring unity in cities across the world. If you feel led to support our podcast, you may do so on our Shekinah.com website. Or if you would like to support us monthly, there is a link labeled Listener Support on every podcast. Until next time, we thank you, we love you, have a blessed day.